Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm Doug Sweeney, your host, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. And today's episode will be the third in a three-week series of episodes with four African-American alumni on racism and racial injustice. We hope you turned into our last two episodes. We talked in the first one about our guests' encounters with racial injustice during childhood. Then in the second episode, we dealt with our panelists' experiences with racial sin as adults. In this final episode, we're going to ask these friends for pastoral wisdom as we deal with these sins in the church. We've been praying that God's Spirit would use this brief three-part series to help us all do better with these matters in our lives, our churches, our world, and even at Beeson Divinity School. We hope you'll want to join us in praying and working on these challenges as you listen and pursue the Lord's will in your own spheres of influence. Kristen, will you please introduce today's guest? Our first guest is the Reverend Dr. Patricia Outlaw, who is the pastor of Oak Grove Amy Church in Florence, Alabama. She graduated from our DMIN program in 2002 and taught as an associate professor of divinity at Beeson from 2001 to 2015. Our second guest is the Reverend Dr. Mary Moss, who is the senior pastor of St. Alma Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She also earned her Doctor of Ministry degree from Beeson in 2009. Our third guest is the Reverend Dr. Thomas Beavers, who is the senior pastor of New Rising Star Missionary Baptist Church in the Eastlake community in Birmingham, Alabama. He graduated from Beeson with a MDiv degree and later a DMIN degree in 2007 and 2013, respectively. And our last guest is the Reverend Dr. Calvin Bell, who is the senior pastor of Bethel Baptist Church in Bessemer, Alabama. He earned his MDiv and DMIN degrees from Beeson in 2011 and 2017, respectively. We're recording this podcast following the recent killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And we'd like you to reflect on our current moment, especially as pastors and what the conversations look like in your respective communities and churches and how you are helping members of your church, especially at this time, processing the most recent killings of these three individuals. And I wonder if we can start this time with you, uh, Dr. Beavers. Well, uh, to be quite honest, I have not seen our church probably in over two and a half, three months because of COVID-19. And primarily we've been pastoring online. So we really haven't gotten a chance to talk about this. Most of my conversations have been with white pastors, white clergymen, white businessmen, people that uh, I have relationships with that are asking me about racism and asking me to help them understand. I will say in general, black people, uh, me included, for most of us, this conversation is 450 years old. So when black people see it, like we're tired of talking about it. 
I think after the death of George Floyd, uh, I mean, that was just horrific. But at the same time, the good part about it is that I believe that it was the tipping point, not just for America, but the entire world. And now that the world has seen that, I think most white people that I know are at least waking up and saying, you know, maybe we really do have a problem with racism in the United States of America and racism inside of this world. And so now that they're waking up and seeing it and examining themselves, most white people I know are saying, let's come to the table, let's talk. And most black people, because it's a 450 year old conversation, are like, I'm done talking. I'm ready to take action. So it's almost like a man and a woman, woman being inside of an abusive relationship. You know, she tries to talk to the man and say, hey, stop, stop abusing me. And the man continues to abuse her. And then finally, she gets the courage to leave the relationship. And when the man sees that she's serious, finally, he says, well, can we sit down and can we talk? And the woman is like, I'm done talking. So at the point where he's ready to talk, like she's done talking. And I think that really describes the conversation of race uh, in America. Most white people are ready to talk now and most black people are ready to take action. Dr. Outlaw, what would you add to Dr. Beaver's statement? Well, first of all, I think that if we're going to resolve a problem, we have to just got to name it. And so what comes to my mind is post-traumatic slavery syndrome that many of us are still suffering from the effects of slavery, uh, whether we acknowledge it or not. In order to re remediate a problem, you've got to acknowledge that you have a problem. So in the same way that we talk about post-traumatic stress syndrome, all of us are being affected, whether directly or indirectly, by COVID-19. So our church members are similarly being impacted by COVID-19. And in our case, in Black churches, they're being impacted by post-traumatic slavery syndrome. And so in our Bible studies, we're walking through Psalms and we, last week we were in Psalm 9, and this week we were in Psalm 10. We're able to articulate what the text is saying, but also make it relevant to where we are in the here and now, and to acknowledge our grief, our pain, our anger. These are legitimate feelings, and the notion that Christians aren't supposed to be angry or express their anger is a myth. And so we have to help our members to be able to articulate what it is that they're feeling, not only what the church members are feeling, but what the pastors are feeling. My position is if, you, if you're hurting, you should say, ouch, and not pretend that you're not feeling what you're feeling. And so when people ask me, how are you feeling? I tell them I'm angry. I tell my church members I'm angry. And I'm reminded of a t-shirt that one of my church members had made for me. And it says, uh, it has a stop sign. It's a black T-shirt with a stop sign on it, and it says social distancing six feet. And I joke with them about it because when I preach, when we were in the sanctuary, I often talked about how I, uh, the priest put me on a behavior plan, and I didn't know it because I used to cuss all the time so that I could stop cussing so much. And I said I was thankful for the T-shirt because it, it keeps me from having to cuss somebody out. Mm -hmm who gets too close to me, who's not social distancing because they're in denial about the effects of COVID-19 and the reach of COVID-19. So it is with uh, people post-traumatic slavery disorder that they don't understand sometimes what they're saying and what the implications of what they're saying to me and what it is that they're doing. And so I give my parishioners permission to be honest with themselves, to acknowledge that they're hurting, uh, they're in pain, uh, to talk about that pain.
and to know that they have a place where they can talk about it that is the body of Christ. And so we don't need to deny racism in America. It is what it is. We need to acknowledge it, and then we need to work toward uh, correcting it and remediating that which needs to be changed. Dr. Bell, what would you add? Like Dr. Beaver said earlier, I've I've not had a whole lot of conversation with our parishioners as a result of COVID-19 and us yet still sheltering in. However, uh, the majority of my conversations have been with my D-Man cohort, uh, students that I went to, um, that I uh, that studied uh, during the MDF pro- uh, program there at Beast, and also students from Southeastern Bible College, most of them are white, and also uh, pastors who are in our community. And I have spent a lot of time in conversation with both groups, but on the side of pastors in my community, I spent a conversation on last Friday. I was in a conversation with a fellow pastor in investment. And this pastor openly just stated that, you know, I can't believe that so many white people are on Facebook, on public, on news, uh, people who are supposedly Christians who have us on blast for protesting, rioting, and, and all the other things. Do they not understand that why they can't be saved? He said, he said, there is no way. That, that these people, some of them are pastors in churches who are white, they can't be saved if they don't understand our plight. And so I said, and I said to him, you know what, I've kind of been in between two communities for 22 years, since 1998, going back as far as being the first African-American in, in the in Kirkham Clinic and the maintenance department to own the Southeastern Bible College, being minority on that campus, as well as Stanford University as well. And so in, in over those 22 years, I've developed relationships with a lot of white people, many which are, are close friends of mine, people who I, I know are saved, but yet their political views and maybe uh, other views are, are very different from those of mine. Their life lived experience is very different from that of mine. And so I told that pastor that, you know, all of us have blind spots uh, to kind of go into Dr. Outlaw's world there. That We have those areas of the things that we don't see, we don't know, we don't understand because they are not our reality. They are not our lived experience. So I told him that, so I know many great white pastors who may not be as sensitive to the African-American plight as you know you and I are. Nevertheless, I know that they're saved. And so I don't question their salvation. I just think it's just an area of blindness uh, in their particular lives. And I gave him uh, the illustration, you know, his, his wife happened to be there and, and we we're, we're family members to be exact. And, and so his wife, she's always been afraid of dogs since... Uh, uh, she was bit by one when she was two or three years old. And so, so in essence, she's just kind of, you know, been prejudiced towards any dog until over the last two years, I think, uh, her daughter, they ended up getting the dog. And, and so she's fallen in love with the daughter's dog. And so now she's reacclimated herself to being a dog lover. So, but I told him, you know, that just as your wife's understanding about dogs were, they're all vicious, they're all dangerous, they're all hurtful. And there was a blindness in her because of her experience in that way. So uh, her reality was that dogs are dangerous. So here it is that we are in a time and a space where we are having conversations and, and people are beginning to see things. So let's wait it out. Let's pray and let's see uh, if they'll come around. And so, But this pastor here, again, like many others on, in my community, they are frustrated because of all of the backlash that's being spoken and communicated or the silence, as Dr. Beaver, Beavers articulated, uh, by white pastors during this time. So, again... A black pastor, black pastors are questioning white pastors and white Christian salvation. And I'm on the defensive side to say, well, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. Thank you, Dr. Bell. And Dr. Moss, uh, how how might you um, wrap up this question series? What would you add? Uh, as it relates to the conversation that we're 
living with our people and hearing from them and hearing their hearts. They are overwhelmed simply because of COVID-19 and, of course, the racism that seems to, to be just unnecessary, blatant murder. So it's, it's too many questions and too many unknowns. So what we are basically doing with them as we are engaging them in conversation is taking them back to our ancestors who, against their, their own will, believe in the power of God and they never lose sight of that. So in my conversation with them and in my leading them, prayer is very, very key. We, uh, 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 Cleophas LaRue wrote a book uh, about black preaching and I pull very strongly on two of his domains right now. So I am caring for the soul, the spiritual soul. We talk about feelings, how they feel. We talk about all of the emotions that's been uh, dealt with uh, so far, trying to help them be real. But I keep ever before them, uh, regardless of what it seemed like, and even as we deal with 400 years of slavery, the God whom we serve has never failed us. Somehow he brought us out. And so it's, if you ever want to do anything, it's a time to look back to the God of our ancestors who uh, have proven down through the years that he, he brought us through so much. And now he has brought us to this stuff. We're not trying to be elusive or evasive, but we have to keep hoping people because the truth of the matter, some people are, are committing suicide. And I think who we are comes with the mantle of hope. And so that with being true about some things, I never leave the conversation without prayer and without looking, uh, as the psalmist say, I look to the hill from which my help cometh, all of our help coming from God. And he can handle all the atrocities of this world. We just have to wage the war. It's time to ask the, the big question. And the big question has to do with what we are doing in our churches to confront racism and racial prejudice and what we ought to be doing in our churches, even if we're not doing it yet. And I know people get tired of being asked by uh, other other people, particularly a white guy like me, so what should people in the churches be doing? But we have a lot of listeners who are pastors, pastors in training, serious uh, lay people in congregations. Um, so let me put it this way to you. In your African-American congregations, You've been working on these things for years. Could you summarize for our audience, what kinds of things have you been doing in your, in your pastoral ministries, in your congregations, uh, to address the sins of racism and racial prejudice in the society? And then maybe if I could add just one more sort of part B to the question, insofar as you're willing to encourage the rest of us uh, and speak to white Christians, white pastors who are only recently really getting mobilized and trying to make a difference with respect to the racism and racial prejudice. What do you want to say to them by way of encouragement and motivation and uh, suggestion? And uh, why don't we again start, if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Beavers with you. Okay, so um, you cannot stop somebody from being racist, but you can arm and empower yourself to put yourself in the best position as possible to make sure that the systems of this world do not hold you back and do not hold you down. As a consequence, the mission of our church is twofold. Number one, we exist to know Christ and make him known to the entire world. Number two, 
we exist to help people have a higher and a better quality of life on earth. We are very involved in community development. Our zip code is zip code 35206. It is high crime, it is high poverty. We believe that the two are interconnected. When people don't have what they need, they take it by any means necessary, which is also connected to a disparity in education. When kids grow up, they are unable to get a quality education. If they get a job at all, they become a part of the working poor and they have to climb high to get to the bottom. As a consequence, uh, we believe the way to combat these systematic racial systems of education and healthcare and things of that nature is through community development. We see it as how we develop people. Uh, communities are people and not buildings. We develop people in six ways. We do it through education, financial literacy, workforce development, housing, recreation, and the church. We have different programs and different things that we do in all six of those areas. Uh, Education-wise, we have an early childhood development center. It's easier to mold the mind of a child than it is to change the mind of an adult. Also, when school is out, we're in. So we have spring enrichment, summer enrichment, after-school enrichment. As far as financial literacy, we have a credit union, um, the NRS Community Development Federal Credit Union. Uh, it is federally insured by the NCUA. We exist to put all the payday lenders out of business. We have several payday lenders inside of our zip code that are getting rich over the backs of poor people who are primarily black. So we offer all the same products and services as a payday lender, just designed to get people out of debt and not keep people in debt. Uh, workforce development, we partner with organizations such as Workbase. Birmingham, Hope Inspired Ministries. Short-term goal is to get people jobs. Long-term goal is to make the samples. We own homes inside of our communities. We fix them up, make them affordable income-based housing. We have a 30,000 square foot family life center that we use for recreation. The recreational question is, what is there to do in the community? A lot of times when people act out, it's, it's not because they're bad, it's because they're bored. And so uh, we use our family life center to that end. And then there's the church. And so we believe that it's important for any community to thrive and to prosper, to make an investment at minimum in those six areas. And that's what we are trying to do. I think the last thing that I can say to encourage people is not just to encourage them, but also challenge them. You know, traditionally, we have been taught in Eurocentric perspectives to keep politics separate from the pulpit. Uh, but that is not the tradition of the African-American. Uh, if you think about African-American church and African-American church tradition, the church was a place not only where we came together to have church on Sunday and worship God corporately on Sunday. It was a place where we organized and where we strategize against the ills of society and injustices of society, which also included politics. I don't think that you can address racism without addressing politics. I don't think you can address racism without addressing the political climate of this world. Um, regardless of what you think about who's in office, you cannot do it um, because what leaders do in moderation, people do in excess. And when you look at who's inside of the office, this, this has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat or independent. But when the one who's in the office continues to use reckless rhetoric to insult people of color, calling countries with people of color as whole nations, calling people who protest peacefully by taking a 
knee during the playing of the national anthem in the NFL. These sons of bees ought to be fired. And the list goes on and on and on. Racially insensitive remarks, such as after the death of George Floyd, he says, I think George Floyd is smiling down from heaven this day because the economy is taking a turn for the best. I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on and on. And the reason I say it's not a Republican or a Democratic thing is because even if you don't agree with a Republican being in office, we've had Republican presidents in the past. And even if you did not agree with all of their policies, no, no president has ever been so unpresidential in the things that they say in the way that they insult the American people. And so until we address, you know, what is going on in the White House, I believe that the reckless rhetoric has incited the environment that we are in right now for these issues of race to rise to the top and for the climate that we have in the country uh, at this particular moment in time. And so I don't think any longer that you can separate the pulpit and politics. I think we need to be addressing this even at the political level as well. Dr. Beavers is the pastor of a large urban congregation that's doing lots of amazing things uh, with respect to the challenges that we all face today. Maybe as the rest of us respond to this question, we should say a word about what our setting is, what kind of congregations we serve, uh, and therefore what kinds of things we've been working on in our communities through our congregations. But without further ado, Dr. Moskett, I turn to you next. Yes, thank you, Dr. Sweeney. I am a small congregation, rural. And so I am in the process of changing not only the aesthetics of the place, but the uh, mental mindset of people. My congregation is predominantly, the medium age is 40. And so I am, if you will, shaping a generation. And I am turning them from church goers to actually being believers on mission. We are basically doing at our church at this time, we have a strong focus on education and whether it be financial literacy, whether it be health, even inclusive of mental health, emotional health. We have a strong focus on entrepreneurship, trying to help people to, to own ownership for me. When I entered into that congregation, very few of the younger people own homes. I was very instrumental along with my staff in helping them to become credit worthy and ready to buy homes. And we walked them through the process. We even networked so that they could have a path to follow because we believe the words of Jesus when he said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, Zoe, a quality of life. And so we are doing that for our young people. We are, we have a strong focus on family, where our families are taught values. And um, there are certain ways in which we have tried to help these families stay together as family, dad in the home and et cetera. So that's been a strong focus of our church. Community is key. We are very we 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 are very intentional with our mission in the community within the ten mile radius because we are small. So we we focus like in the next week, even though it's COVID nineteen, we will still reach out to the elderly in the community, regardless of which church. 
and we will have fresh foods. We have food deserts. So we are preparing 100 bags for the elderly along with masks and along with sanitizers and information to help them survive. So we're trying to be relevant and to help people survive at this present time. Thank you. Dr. Bell, what's going on at your church and what advice do you have for other church people these days? I, I pastor Bethel Baptist Church here in Bessemer. We're in inner city Bessemer. We are a church. The church is 134 years old, and uh, we are 100% African-American. Median age range is probably 55, and so we do have some younger people, but the majority of the people are older people. And so uh, what we've been doing here at Bethel Baptist Church uh, by March is just trying to encourage people to continue to spread the gospel, you know, to believe the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, these are very painful times. And I'm a very hands-on type leader. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, little kids come to my office on Sunday. They have parents or grandparents before service. Say, oh, come out of pastor's office. And they know that they're welcome. I say, oh, leave the kids alone. And so that's kind of my model of leadership, open door, very friendly, and, and kind of knowing what's going on in the lives of, of the membership. And I encourage our leaders of various ministries in our church to kind of reciprocate that same type of leadership uh, uh, model so that, that we are engaged in each other. And so even as we've been sheltered in over the last several months, I've encouraged all of the, the ministry leaders to think of yourself as the pastor over whatever particular ministry it is that, that you're leading and model that, you know, make sure you're calling and checking on them and find out what their needs are so forth. And if there are things that, that you can't help them with, then let, let, let me know. Let one of the, the ministers here or someone on uh, one of the deacons or what have you know, and we'll, we'll do, see what we can, can do to uh, address those issues. But now as it relates to the the pressures of the tension of, of what's going on with COVID, uh, murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and, and the frustrations of those things. Uh, what, what I've been trying to do is, is keep our membership in the mindset of when we're thinking about being angry at the people who per perpetrate these crimes of police officers or what happened. We have police officers in our congregation, so I said, you know, listen, we can't hate police officers. You know, we know good police officers. Let's not, be, let's not make the, let's not make the, the same, duplicate the same sins that some other people have done over the years, you know, just looking at one people group and, and just kind of tagging them to be, they're black, so then therefore, or, you know, so forth, so on. So in our congregation is that we're going to, we want to uh, model the idea of uh, that the people are people. They're good people and they're bad people. They're, they're righteous people and they're, they're sinful people. In reality, all of us have a sin nature and we're subject to doing do all kinds of things. And so I leave them right to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10. Romans 5 and 8, where, you know, God commands his love toward, toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, so I remind uh, our congregation that we are all sinful. We all have sin natures. And, and therefore, as soon as you want to point the finger at someone else for what they've done wrong, then we ourselves have to remember that, that when, when Christ died, we were all uh, on the chopping block. We were all uh, doomed to, to, to eternal damnation at Christ not giving his life in, in our stead. So, so while we were sinners, he died for Romans 5 and 10, while we were the enemies of, of, of God, you know, you know he, he completes this work. And so we, were, we were the enemy of Christ, and yet God still sent his son Jesus Christ to us. And so with that mindset, I've encouraged our congregation to continue to do uh, what we're supposed to, what we're being called to do as Christians, to continue to publish the gospel. I know that we're hurting, we're frustrated, but, but we cannot stop being witnesses for Christ, even though we are in these, these very tensions. Uh, time uh, in, in the world, you know, so we're, 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 we're the BBC, Delta Baptist Church, BBC, and I kind of pulled that, that idea concept when we, my wife and I were in, in London, and we, there is the BBC World News, and so I've kind of adopted this model of BBC, 
We are the BBC. We're not publishing world news, but we are publishing the gospel, uh, the good news to the world, uh, publish the good news about Jesus Christ to the world. And so that, that's the, the word that I echo in every service around here, is that we are to publish the good news about Jesus. And remember that he loved us so much that he, he gave himself up for us. And so let us uh, step back from the situation far enough to be able to say, oh, so, you know, we're, we know what prejudice looks like. We know Amari Alberry, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and a plethora of other people have been subjected to these same kinds of violence. And, and they're going to continue, perhaps, when we hope that they won't. Uh, in the meantime, let us, let us stay committed to what we've been called to do, and that is be Christians. Be like Christ. Dr. Outlaw, you get the last word uh, in this episode and in this series. Would you please tell us what's going on in your church and give some advice to other pastors and serious lay Christians who are trying to uh, do better with respect to the sins of racism and racial injustice in our society? I currently serve Oak Grove Amy Church in Florence, Alabama. It's in the rural section of Florence, about two hours and 15-minute drive from Birmingham. And uh, historically, the African Methodist Episcopal Church was founded out of uh, blatant racism on the part of the Methodist Episcopal Church, which became the United Methodist Church. In 1787, Richard Allen and his cohort walked out of St. George's uh, Methodist Episcopal Church and founded the African Methodist Episcopal Church because of racism in the church. And uh, racism still exists in church. And the Sunday is the most uh, segregated hour of the week, the 11 o'clock worship hour. And so we are mindful of that. We are mindful of our history, and we teach our history at our church. And we also teach liberation at our church. Um, what I am aware of, having served uh, four churches in uh, in, our, in Birmingham area, as well as in uh, one in Maryland, so that's, I guess that's five churches altogether, is that in this particular church in Florence, I have not only African-Americans who are members of the church, but biracial children who are members of our church, uh, which all, goes all the way back to, our, you know, the fact that these are the children who come out of mixed relationships. And so I'm sensitive to that. We preach the gospel. Uh, we, we cater to the emotional, physical, and spiritual needs of all people. And so ultimately our goal is to have a multicultural church. We, already, we already are multicultural because we not only have African-Americans who are pastors of our churches, but if you go, we have 20 some Episcopal districts across the diaspora, we have people of brown and black and white pastors in our AME churches. And so what we're doing in this COVID-19 season and the season of where we're grieving the loss of George Floyd and uh, Ahmaud Arbery and others is giving our parishioners permission to feel what it is that they're feeling. And so I'm on the phone a lot in this season because we are social distancing and in our telephone conference calls where we have Bible study, we are listening to hear what the people are saying and to affirm what it is that they're feeling and not to negate under the guise of religiosity or spirituality. There's a tendency that people would have us to say, because we're Christians, we're not supposed to feel, we're not supposed to be angry, we're not supposed to have the, but we have to acknowledge our pain in order to, to heal. And so in this season, I'm doing a lot of listening. 
And uh, when we're not social distancing, we have persons at our church, which we call missionaries, who go out into the community and feed the hungry, take clothes to the homeless shelters. We have uh, collect socks to give away to to the homeless. And so there are a number of activities that the people are engaged in. But uh, in this season of COVID-19, we are dialoguing. Uh, We are listening and we're talking to each other and we're supporting one another. Uh, through prayer as well as through conversations. Um, I would say that uh, while we're talking about what we're doing in our churches, I would challenge some of the listeners, persons who may be listening or will listen to this podcast, uh, who are not members of predominantly African-American churches, who may be members of the other uh, persuasion, if you will, that white-dominant churches, that, that they need to begin to own their racism and repent uh, and uh, seek ways to reconcile uh, with those who have been the victims and still are the victims of overt racism and not just overt but covert racism uh, and so in order for us to heal uh, we have to acknowledge that we ha- that there is a problem and uh, there is a problem and uh, it's not going to go away overnight but I, I believe that it can be uh, resolved. Uh, but we have to acknowledge that there is a problem. Be willing to listen, be willing to ask the tough questions, to be willing to engage in other organizations. For example, um, uh, Alabama Faith in Action, which was originally Birmingham Faith in Action, is a consortium of not only Christian ministers, but also Muslim brothers uh, who are part of that organization to try to bring social to address social justice issues in the community. So I would say uh, reaching out and making connections with people who don't look like ourselves. Um, you know, even uh, in terms of when we say we're going on the mission field, what does that look like? Well, missions can start right here in Birmingham and in Florence. It can start locally. Thank you very much. You have been listening to four very wise pastors, all of whom are alumni of Beeson Divinity School. We are extremely grateful to them for this gift of time uh, for three podcast episodes on what we should be doing, what we are doing and should be doing better to address the sins of racism and racial injustice in our society. Thank you very much, Dr. Patricia Outlaw, Dr. Thomas Beavers, Dr. Mary Moss, Dr. Calvin Bell for leading us in this conversation. We are grateful to you and we're grateful to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, We love you, we're praying for you. God bless you, goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes.